0: If you've got a Bible on you, why don't you grab it? Uh, The words will appear behind me. If not, if you're joining us online this morning, why don't you grab a Bible where you are or uh, hook out your phone and uh, bring up the Bible app wherever you are. We're going to be reading from Acts 1 this morning, just a few verses from Acts 1, verses uh, 7 through to verse 11, and this is God's Word. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside the men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And we thank God for his word that still speaks to us today. So, uh, as Helen said, my name's Dave, I lead the team here at Central, and uh, over the last kind of four weeks or so, we have been digging down into our values here as a church, so if you've been with us, great, if you've been with us for a little while, great, you'll maybe have an idea of what those are, I'm not going to do that really awful thing that sometimes they did in church and ask you to repeat back to me our values, right, I'm not going to do that to you this morning, right, but we've been walking through those values over the last little while. If you're maybe here this morning, you've arrived in Belfast as a student, or you you're just trying to figure out if this is a church uh, that you could belong to or you've been thinking about that over the last while, then maybe go back, give them a listen on the podcast um, or on YouTube, because it's in my experience, right, that values are way more important than the sign above the door or how great you think a place a social media feed is, right? What a place says it is and what a place is trying to push into is way more important than a badge, Way more important than visuals. Way more important than anything else. Like who do we want to be? That is the question whenever you talk about values. Who do we want to be as a church? But more importantly, because this church, right, it's not just the people in this room, it's the people who belong way beyond this room, the people who are not here this morning as well. Us upstairs, kids downstairs, hearing about Jesus right now. People serving in compassion ministry, those playing instruments, leading us in worship, making coffee, welcoming you on the door. It's in here today and out there tomorrow. It's you. It's not just organizationally the church central, it's you, you are this church. So it's the values that you carry. It's really us talking about who we want to be as a church community, what we hold tightly, and what do we hope that you will hold tightly. So, week one was about worship. We hold worship. Tightly. Worship formed by the sort of sight that John had when he arrived at that empty tomb, okay? He saw strips of linen, but he believed, right? And worship shaped by response like Mary Magdalene in the verses just afterwards in John 20. Love is all she had to bring, and so it is with us. Love is all we have to bring, so we bring it in worship And then last week, it was, or sorry, two weeks ago, it was community. We hold community tightly, the sort of community formed, right? Like much of the life of Jesus around these two things that that he taught and he lived into comfort and challenge, right? That there is comfort here. There's acceptance here. Come to me, follow me with the sorts of things Jesus said to people. This isn't about our performance how good we are how great we're doing this is an invite into our relationship with Jesus and therefore into his own community there is comfort here but also challenge the same Jesus who welcomes us also calls us out lots of times to make disciples to serve to love your enemies and so on and so on and so on and that our place as a community is not only to hold out God's best for one another but to hold it up to one another like live up to this so we become a community of comfort and challenge and even last week as we talked about the table and we came to the table the king's table we get a place at that table as unworthy as we are As lost as we are, as hopeless sometimes as we are, as full of doubt as sometimes that we are, we get a place at the king's table. And this week we land on our final value. And that value is witness. The value is witness. I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. Um, In truth, there's probably, I I can't really think of a time in my life uh, as I grew up that I wasn't in some way aware of God, okay? Um, His goodness, his so far beyond me-ness, and yet at the same time, his nearness. I think I always had some sort of perception of God, And most tangibly of all, I probably saw him in the lives of my parents and their work. My dad was a church leader. So I saw Jesus at work in the lives of the people that got trips through our house just about every Sunday for Sunday dinner. We were that family, right? Someone was at our house every Sunday, right? From the weird to the wonderful, from people who were sleeping rough to missionaries, guest speakers, Irish league footballers, right? They all came through our house. I took it all in as a child. I knew Jesus was at work in transforming lives. But then at 14, at a football camp down in Dublin, something happened. I don't really know. I couldn't really tell you now what it was, what somebody said, what the talk was on. I don't really know. I can't can't remember now. But it felt like it came into focus. Most of you in the room are so young uh, that you don't remember anything to do with analog TVs and aerials, right? You all just watch Netflix now, right? But back in the ancient days, right, There were TV aerials, okay? And if you lived anywhere around the greater Belfast area, TV reception was generally terrible, right? So you had this thing in your TV where you tuned it in. Does anyone remember that, like, tuning in picture? And it went from that kind of white noise, fuzzy screen, and then the picture would start, but it would kind of be, like, scrolling across the screen. And then the more you tuned it, it would get, like, more and more and more and more, and then just perfect. You reached this moment where it was, like, ah, amazing, for about five minutes before it went again, okay? But, like, that's how it went. And for me, faith at that point in my life, it felt a lot like that. It felt like the picture I had of Jesus and his goodness and his grace and the cross and salvation and all of those things that that we hold on to as truths in our Christian faith. It felt like to me that they started off, they were there, but they were kind of fuzzy, right? Like it was kind of blurry. And all of a sudden at this football camp outside Dublin, something happened and it was like sharp focus. And I knew who he was. And I knew he was near. And I knew that I wanted him. And so that was me at 14 years old. And so when I came back from that football camp, I did the thing that I felt that we were told to do, which was like, you've got to tell others about your faith. So I came home. I phoned up my best mate. We arranged to meet somewhere outside Jordanstown. And I'm like fired up, right? I'm kind of like, like high as a kite, right? I've just become a Christian. I'm like, I'm good to go, right? And with some like mixture of nervous energy and excitement and like Coca-Cola, I was like, I, I was going to say Coke and then I thought you'd think I was on drugs. I went to meet my best friend, okay? So I go to meet him and I'm like, this is going to be incredible right? I've just become a Christian. I'm going to lead this guy to the Lord. It's going to be incredible, right? So I meet him uh, and we sort of do some like general chit-chat and we're kind of walking along the street and then I'm like, so, you know, I've become a Christian. And he's like, right. And that was kind of it, right? So then I'm like, right, well, you know, he's not that amused about this. So I started tell him about the gospel and I'm like, you know, telling him about Jesus and all of this sort of stuff. And, I, and I've been like on the go for about 10 minutes. And, and in my head, I'm like speaking to him like I'm on a stage at Wembley, right? Like I can feel like the soft pad playing in the background, wind machines, you know, blowing my hair. You know, I'm like, I'm going for it. And I get to the end and he's like, cool, um, do you want to go skateboarding? And that was it, right? That was it. That was the entirety of my first attempt at telling somebody about Jesus. And the thing is that as we come to that this week, I think we come to what is one of the most undeniable calls of the Christian life and one of our core values, which is to be witnesses, to be witnesses. And yet it remains one of the things I think that my generation and the generations that have come after seem most reluctant to do. Like we know it's a big call. Like when I talk to anyone who's a Christian, it's not like they ever debate that God is telling them and calling them that we need to be witnesses. We need to be you know, telling the outside world about the grace and goodness and mercy of God, that we, we need to do it, right? Nobody ever debates it. But for some reason, it seems to fall off as a passion in our lives. Why is that? Why is that? And at the end of the day, Those of you sitting here today who follow Jesus, you're only here because somebody told you. All of us who sit here today as believers of Jesus, you're only here because somebody told you. So why do we find it so hard? Well, maybe there's a couple of things. Maybe first it's the cost, right? I mean, the word for witness that we get in the New Testament, we just read it there a minute ago from the book of Acts, right? The word that we get is from the Greek word marturia. It's the word that we get martyr from, right? And in some ways, maybe you think, you know, that to tell people the cost is like too high. Maybe like me, you sat through the youth talks, you know, when you get like the mission youth talk, when someone comes from the far side of the world and you're like, you know, they're asking and they're sort of hoping that there might be a response and you're absolutely terrified that if you respond, you're going to be the person that gets sent to the far side of the world to tell people about Jesus. So, you, you know, there's one thing I'm not doing today. I am not holding my hand up, right? Maybe that is you, right? You're so afraid of the cost. Like if I say yes, where am I going to go? Like I don't want to go and do that. I don't, I don't want to do that. So I'm not responding. Or maybe it's the culture that we live in, right? One of the great challenges, I think, of our time is the sense of shame we have at the thought of sharing our faith in a world or a culture where one of the highest values is this idea of tolerance, right? So we almost feel ashamed at the thought about telling people about Jesus, like the claims we'll make, the intrusion into people's lives, like we might trigger them, right? So we feel the thrust of our time that it's your truth, just keep it to yourself. And so that's what we do, don't we? We keep our head down. We try not to rock the boat. We try not to let anybody else know. Even though we live in a time of a thousand gospels, speaking to us constantly, trying to convert us constantly to their cause, the cause, the gospel of career trajectory, the gospel of living your best life, the gospel of whatever makes you happy, the gospel of gender identity theory, the gospel according to Louis Vuitton, all saints, or whoever it is you can't take your eyes off. We live in a time of a thousand gospels and they're trying to convert you night and day. Yet we feel the shame at the thought that we might tell somebody about ours. So we keep the low profile, we keep our heads down, just kind of quietly hoping and praying that like, just enough of the way of Jesus might leak out of us, that by some miracle somebody might meet Jesus through our lives. Or maybe it's the methods we've experienced in our lives as well, right? Preaching at Corn Market, Youth weekends, kind of vague responses that, you know, people uh, kind of say whenever they're trying to lead people to these kind of vagueness about it. What did they actually commit? Like, what did they commit to? You know, maybe it's those sorts of things. My personal favorite as a teenager was, and I don't know if any of you ever got this, was the one million pound banknote track. Did any of you ever get hit with that as a teenager? Like, somebody handed me this note, and I'm like, a million pounds? Like, I'm loving life. And then I look at it, and it's like, from the bank of eternity right? This is not a joke. People handed these out. Somewhere in this church, by the way, as this church develops, one of you is going to be the tracked guy, by the way, just so you know, okay? There is always one. And in my church, somebody did that to me. They handed me the one million pound note from the bank of eternity. It had the opposite effect at that stage in my life, just so you know. Maybe it's the methods. Maybe it's the culture. Maybe it's the cost. One way or another, the call on our life, still it stands. Jesus says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses. And he says the same to you and to I today. Chris Wright, the Bible commentator, author, he says mission and speaks of mission and this call in our lives like this. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. And so the context of what I come to say to you today is that there is not a mission for your life. It's that your life was made for mission. Our lives were made for mission. Our lives were made for witness. We were made for this. So what do we do? Well, this is one of our values. We're trying to hold tightly to our place as witnesses. And I could take a hundred angles on this today, okay, like I could with any of the values. But I think... I want us to think today that as we seek to make being a witness something to hold on tightly to, there are two things I want us to remember, and they're these. That we are here, and here we are. The first of those things is that we are here. Let's just read those short verses from Acts 1 again. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For those of you that have been around here for a while or have bothered to look at the website, you'll have heard us say our kind of vision line a lot, okay? And it is this, we are here Joining with God and others in the transformation of Belfast as disciples who make disciples, right? And in lots of ways, right, the, the last couple of weeks have been about our formation as a community of disciples, right? Living lives of worship and, and community to, to see our lives transformed. But this week, this week is about the transformation of Belfast bit in that vision line, right? And so we are here, Belfast. We're here. This beautiful, broken, healing, full of life and laughter and bloody-mindedness place. This place we call home. This place we come to study in. This place we come to work to. This place we work in. This city we come to socialize and play sport in and watch films or play music. We are here. You are here. This morning. And I say that because I've always wondered about that part in Acts 1-8, right? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like, why does Jesus mention those places, right? Why bother? The destination was the ends of the earth, right? I mean, it's pretty clear that's where he wants the gospel to go. That's where he expects the message to go. So why does he not just say that, right? Like, you will be my witnesses everywhere. You'll be my witnesses in all the earth, right? Why does he not just skip to the end bit? Because that's kind of the destination, isn't it? Why? Well, it's because place has always been important to the mission of God and to the heart of God. Place has always been important. We walked through the book of Acts over this last year, right? It took about 30 weeks to get it done. So I'm hoping that you remember some of it, right? Right? But I think that when you look back through the book of Acts and you think back through that series, you remember how deeply significant places were as they met the message of Jesus along the way. How methods changed. How what God did changed. How the questions that were being asked changed. How as it went from place to place There was significance in that. Think about how the letters to the Ephesians and the Romans and the Philippians and the Corinthians and the Colossians and the Thessalonians, right? Think about how Paul writes different things to each of those places as the transformation of God looks different in each of those places. Place is significant. This place is significant. And we find ourselves as carriers of the gospel, don't we? I think that's one of the things we recognize as we talk about the kind of term or the thought of witness we are carriers of this gospel and yet so often we reduce the gospel to just the work of salvation through repentance from sin to be restored into relationship with god and the promise of eternity right the gospel is that that's right but the gospel is so much more than just that It's bigger than that. Chris Wright, again, he writes it like this. The Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole of God's creation. In other words, huge, wide gospel. The whole story of God through the Bible is the gospel. It's not just that like section in the New Testament. It's the whole thing because it all tells the story of how God moves towards people in his mission towards people. Huge, wide gospel and yet significance of how it works in this one little place. How we fit inside this grand story of God and what it means to be here. It's incredible, right? Jamie has just come back from a stint away touring, uh, doing video work with a number of musicians, and he arrived in the office on Tuesday, and I was talking to him a bit about how that went, to which Jamie said whenever he was sitting at his desk, I just realized, too, that I love Belfast. I've been a whole bunch of places over the last couple of weeks, and I don't really want to go to any of them. I'm so happy to be back here. And I think that's really important, right? I think when we think about place and when we think about this place, it is really important to remember and think about the fact that we love this place. I mean, for example, right? Have you ever heard an American talk about their city, right? Every American ever lives in the greatest city in the world, right? Like nobody ever says like, oh, like I live in Ohio, like they never say that, or New York, or wherever they're from, like every American believes that where they live is the greatest city in the world, right, that's what they believe, the greatest city in the world, and the greatest country in the world, and the greatest era the world has ever known, like that's how they feel about it, and yet Northern Irish people, there's this kind of like, oh, Belfast thing that people do, right, it's like we have this kind of pitiful thing about Belfast, like we don't take it too seriously, so we're a bit like, oh, you know, Belfast, it's a bit wick. you know, it's like that's how we feel about it, right. But you can't do it. You've got to love this place. You have to feel about it like Jamie said. I realized that I love this place. And I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be anywhere else. We can't eye roll about it. And the other thing we also do is that we have this wider sense as Christians an awful lot that the sense of like the culture in inverted commas has gone to pot, right? Like the culture as this thing that we're not contributors to. It's gone to pot, right? The cultures. We become culture warriors, right? Inside the church or some sense of petty looking down our noses at the city from some holier-than-thou place, right? And it makes me think of how Jonah must have felt about Nineveh. Like he didn't want to go there, Right? And we will never reach this place if we don't want to go there. If that's how we feel about Belfast, we will never reach it. We have to love it, not regret it, not scorn it, not pity it. I love how Tim Keller writes about their journey as Redeemer whenever they planted into New York City. And he writes this, Early in Redeemer's ministry, we discovered it was misguided for Christians to feel pity for the city, and it was harmful to think of ourselves as its saviour. We're not here to feel pity for Belfast. We're also not here to realize that we are the city's savior, because we're not. And I learned that really quickly after we planted Central, okay? And there were three things really that what Tim Keller wrote in his book uh, called Center Church that I picked up so quickly whenever we started to, you know, started to lead and I guess press into what it meant to be a church here in Belfast. The first was this, that we have much to learn from the city. We have so much to learn from this place. There is already beauty here. There is already creativity here and compassion here and justice here. Like this city is the most densely populated place in Northern Ireland. Therefore, it's most full of image bearers of God. Therefore, most full of God's design. There is wrong here too. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that it's you know a small outbreak of heaven, right? But there is beauty here too. And so much of my working here over the last six years or so has helped me fill out my own understanding of God and his kingdom coming. The first thing we learn is that there's much to learn from this place. The second is that there is much to give to this place. I often think about us leaving here every Sunday. And how as we pour out those doors and lots of you go off to eat lunch wherever you're going or go back to people's homes to eat or go into the city to work or whatever it is you're doing on the Sunday, right? I often think about how we pour out from this place like some kind of super spreader event, right? Not literally, I hope, but pour out of those doors, you know, out throughout this place to distill the grace and goodness and person of Jesus throughout Belfast City Centre every single Sunday. I think about how you're scattered to workplaces and offices and places all around this city through the week. And I think about how you carry something, not just as we come in here as a Sunday, but as you carry something to those places during the week. We have much to contribute. We have much to give to this place. And finally, I've learned that you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear from the city. You have nothing to fear from Belfast. Jesus has been at work here before, is at work now, and he will be in the future. And the funny thing about Acts 1 and that passage that we read earlier on, okay, is what happens at the end of the passage. This is what it says. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up to the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Here's the thing. This is a big moment. This is a big moment for the disciples, right? Jesus is departing. And in lots of ways, if you're them, this is just a moment of real loss, right? He's been crucified. He's risen again. He's come back. He spent time with them. And now he's leaving. He's commissioned them, but quite frankly, if I was them, I'd be thinking like, Jesus, I'd kind of rather it if you stayed, you know, like, like you're leaving this with us, really? But he goes. And so in many ways, this is a moment of loss, and so they watch on, and they watch on. And the problem is that they keep watching on. And the challenge was that Jesus had told them to take their eyes off where he was going toward Jerusalem. To take their eyes off where Jesus was going, toward Jerusalem, towards where they were going. In other words, he commissioned them as disciples, and faith leans forward. Faith looks forward. Faith looks at the place that he was calling them to go, and rather than gazing upwards and, and letting Jesus' departure hold their gaze, they were meant to look forward. We are not monument people, right? We are movement people. We're not here to talk about what God did in the past. We are here walking into what his presence wants to do in the future. Humbly, confidently, courageously. We are here. This place is significant. We need to love this place. We need to strain toward this place. We need to get our eyes up looking to where Jesus was and get our eyes looking towards where Jesus is. We are here but secondly here i am here i am as a church leader uh, i have now come to realize that i have several rules in life okay i have realized that over the last number of years uh, and they they have almost been handed to me i never asked for them right the rules are things as follow closer of prayer meetings right doesn't matter the time or the place as soon as i arrive somebody looks around and goes right? Like I close all prayer meetings now, right? For no apparent reason that now has been devolved to me. Signer of driving licenses, right? Uh, Sayer of grace at weddings. That's my personal favorite. You know, the MC will look around and go, where's the minister? Okay, right. You'll say grace. Great. Yeah, that's what I do. Bringer of comforting words at anything difficult, right? You go in any difficult circumstance, somebody starts to pour out their heart. You can be with 25 people and somebody will go, And you're like, no, I don't have anything more to say than you, but that's how it works, right? These are now my rules in life. I'm not assuming these positions, right? They look around. I need to identify myself, right? Here I am, okay? That is how it works. But those words, here I am, okay, they've been at the heart of the stories of God's mission and at work through some of the Bible's most significant leaders. You look through the Old Testament particularly and then kind of bridging into the New Testament, those three words, here I am. They have been at work right at the heart of the mission of God. So most obviously, okay, is in the life of Samuel, okay, in his call. And I'll read these verses to you now from Samuel 1, okay. It says this. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. Here I am. Or I could use the life of Isaiah, right? One of the major prophets, as he's called into the work God has for him. And in Isaiah 6, 8, it will say, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And you think it's just them, right? They're the highlight reel ones, right? They're the ones we taught in Sunday school. There's more than that. I could use Abraham or Jacob or Moses or Ananias. They all had the same response. They all replied the same way. Here I am. And when we think about our lives as witness, okay, not only do we have to think about the place that we are called to witness to, but also that we ourselves, we have to respond We have to respond. And sometimes I think we easily get bogged down in what we don't have, right? Skills as a communicator, boldness, extroverted personality type, like whatever it is. Like just because you're an introvert, you don't get a buy ball, right? I'm sorry to tell you that, right? I know you're pained enough whenever I ask you to turn around and welcome someone on a Sunday. But you don't get a buy ball from the mission of God. And so often we hear things like this and we get bogged down in what we don't have. The gifts we don't have. The things we don't have. Or maybe it's that we don't feel we have our lives all together. So how could we possibly talk about Jesus to other people when I myself am wrestling with anxiety. Or I haven't figured out all my doubts. Or I'm not an expert in apologetics. Like we so easily get to what we don't have. And we can become put off even trying by what we feel we aren't or we don't have. And yet the call of those big biblical characters had one thing in common. And it wasn't their gifts, and it wasn't their personality types, and it wasn't their skills, and it wasn't their status. It was that simple response, here I am. Here I am. And in the passage in Acts 1, this is what it says. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words... There is an order to this witness, right? And it's exactly the same in Luke 24 and 49, whenever it kind of points towards this moment. The same thing happens in both, and it's this. First the Spirit is poured out, then we become witnesses. That's what he says. That's, that's what Jesus is saying, and that's what's happening in both passages. It says exactly the same thing, right? If you remember what it says in Luke 24, stay in the city until the power comes, and you will be my witnesses. Wait for the power, go to the place. Wait for the power, then go to the place. And as Jesus calls the disciples to witness, there are two major connotations to this passage for them and for us. As we think about witnessing, as we think about holding up our hands and saying, God, here I am. There are two connotations, right? And the first is this. The first is that they and we are called to carry the story of Jesus to the world. When you think about it, right, as Jesus left, he called them to be witnesses. They carried the message of Jesus to the world that was around them, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, right? The actual story of Jesus was told because they kept on telling it. They became the master storytellers. And becoming a witness means witnessing to the life of Jesus. We hear about it today because they told it and they wrote it down. Uh, We've been kind of laughing at my daughter Elle and her kind of ability as a storyteller of Jesus over the last number of weeks, okay? And ironically, the Queen's death has thrown up opportunities for Elle to tell people about Jesus, okay? Because it turns out that when you're in P2, quite a lot of people, when they encounter the reality of death, they tell people that people now have fairy wings, okay? And Elle, you know, having been raised in our house, uh, has been very quick to tell these people, no, they don't. So people have been saying, you know, you know, the queen's got her fairy wings. And Elle's like, no, she doesn't. And they're like, right? And, you know, traumatized six-year-olds, okay? And Elle is like, no, she doesn't. She's with Jesus, right? And so she's telling these people, she's with Jesus. And then there's like this, well, what does that mean? So Elle is telling people about Jesus, it's better there. She's better there, you know, and and she's telling people about this. And this is not the first time, you know, a a classmate in her class, her granny died, and she said this about having fairy wings. Elle was very quick to say, do not have fairy wings, but let me tell you about Jesus. And if her life can make space to tell the story of Jesus, so can yours. So can yours. We are the carriers of the story of Jesus. This story only gets told if you tell it. It only gets told in your workplace. It only gets told in your family circle. It only gets told in your circle of friends. It only gets told if you tell it. And if my six-year-old daughter can make space for the story of Jesus in her life, then so can you. But that's not the only thing, right? To be a witness is not just to be a witness, right? To tell of something. Because now that the Holy Spirit has come on those witnesses and on you as witnesses, the second outworking is that now we have received the Holy Spirit, our lives make room for the witness. It's not just about the words that we have to speak. It's that our lives now become the stage through which the Holy Spirit will witness to other people that are around you in your world. Your lives become the stage for the work of the Holy Spirit in your workplace and in your uni class and in your sports club and in your family group, right? And even by some miracle in WhatsApp groups, right? Your lives become the stage through which the Holy Spirit works to witness to others. Your lives are places of visitation for the Holy Spirit and his work. It's that line that Leonard Sweet wrote, that I only want to write one thing over the doorpost to my heart and my life. Jesus Christ lives here. Jesus Christ lives here. And if he lives here, then other people will witness it. Linda, who will now be cringing in her seat somewhere, I know where she is, but I'm not going to point to her because she'll cringe even worse, right? And she's going to hate me for putting her in the spotlight. She may actually walk out of church. But Linda is somebody I think of very often whenever I think about a witness. And Linda's on our leadership team. She runs our Alpha courses. And I remember very clearly um, quite a number of years ago a prophetic word um, that I, f- I don't often get prophetic words, by the way. But I felt I got one, and I gave it to Linda at an Alpha weekend. We went away on the Friday night, and, and we kind we invited the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us as we prepared for the Holy Spirit to minister to our guests on the Saturday. And as we did that, I felt I had this prophetic word, and it was from the parable of the banquet. And I just had this sense that the word for her was to go out in the highways and byways and gather up all these strange and wonderful people and gather them around her table, right? Now, Linda, at this point in her life, okay, was always that person who was always saying, you know, no, if I asked her, like she, I'm not worth, I'm not capable of doing that. Like, like repeat line in Linda's life. Linda, do you think you could maybe lead this? No, no, no way. I could never do it. And yet she did it. Side note, by the way, always ask those people. The people that say I could never do something, always ask them. Cause it turned out it was the best thing ever. Cause Linda was much better at running alpha than I ever was. But she took that word that weekend. And since then, I have just watched this most incredible witness do it over and over and over again. She has started running, even though she hates running so she can tell other people about Jesus. She has befriended strange and wonderful people. She has even absealed down the Europa, right, so that she could get some people to come to an Alpha course, right? That is a true story, right? She has made her table. Quite literally the place where others have encountered Jesus through her witness. Her table, her life, has become the stage through which the witness has told others about Jesus. And I think so often whenever we get up and we talk about things like witnessing, right? We jump so quickly to emphasize the telling and the words and all of that stuff. And we so easily play down how our lives become the stage for the witness. Whatever it looks like, whatever you've got. The question today is not how capable or gifted or sorted you are. It's how willing you are to hold your hand up and say, here I am, use me. Use me. I sent my friend Johnny Campbell who um, runs the Alpha Course office now in Northern Ireland would say that evangelism might just be easier than you think it is, but it's way more inconvenient than you'd like it to be. What have you got in your life? How can you say to the Lord, here I am, use me.